Thank you, Brother Rick. What a blessing it is to be with you here today. I missed you last week seeing you in person. You got to see me on the screen as you tuned in online, but I did not get to see your faces, and it blesses me to see you here today. Last week, probably because it was an online only, and probably more so because it was the subject, because it addressed the sanctity of life, is the most listened to sermon I have ever given. Uh, I guess from it being shared around and things like that, and it kind of went all over and we got feedback all throughout the week. Actually, hundreds of comments from all over the country and they weren't positive. <laughs> there were a lot of um, frustrated people when you speak about life. And um, I was reminded last week of the importance to speak about important subjects for our time. We're to speak and preach and teach the whole counsel of God, not just the ones which are convenient for 2000. In 24. With that said, I would love for you to come back tonight. Um, I promise you, I'm not trying to be controversial, but uh, this was the tail end of last year's Sunday night message series that I did not get to. This is the Sunday night Bible study, and we're going to talk about the next four weeks, how to find a place of refuge in our changing times. And I would encourage you to be here tonight as we look at the subjects of biblical faithfulness in an age that readily embraces the LGBTQ plus movement and agenda. That will be tonight. Dinner is at 5. And of course, the teaching will be at 6 p.m. I want to invite you to be a part of that. For this morning, please take your Bibles this morning if you have them. If not, you can pull out your phone. If you'd rather just watch on the screen, that's fine too. It's the Word of God, not the page of God. So Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24, as we continue in our series on grace through the book, the letter to the Galatian churches. Paul is now going to move into a time of personal testimony, and he's going to articulate a little bit more of what the gospel is. Perhaps you'll remember in our first couple of messages on this series, the letter to the Galatian church is a corrective letter. Remember, Paul came out swinging. He came out swinging because of his dire concern for the Galatian church that they had abandoned the true gospel, which is a major issue because Paul reminds them to abandon the true gospel is to put you in dire straits because to embrace another gospel is to embrace no gospel at all because there is only one gospel. So he continues on. And another thing, we talked about what an apostle is. We talked about capital A apostles and lowercase a apostles. The capital A apostles are the ones who are picked by Jesus. And the lowercase a apostles are the ones that were sent out by the capital A's and then also by the church. So therefore today, there are no more capital A apostles. There are no living disciples. I was listening to a guy preach the other day who was arguing that one of the disciples was still alive. I was astounded that he said that. 
But um, anyway, no, none of them are alive. They are all now cold in the grave. And what we have today are lowercase a apostles, people that are sent out by the church. Frequently, we call them missionaries or church planners, people who go out and start a new work. But the capital A apostles, those that were given and entrusted the sacred role of starting the church, capital C church, and then also being used by the Holy Spirit to produce for us holy writ, that office is closed. And in fact, anyone claiming to be that today is frankly lying to you. Because Jesus picked 12, there are 12 gates in Revelation bearing the name of the names of the 12 apostles. There's not room for another capital A apostle. So Paul has defended that, hey, he is one of those capital A apostles. I had a couple of you come up to me after the first couple of messages and say, hey, you remember in early Acts at that after Judas vacated his office as apostle because he betrayed the Lord, they appointed Matthias. Do you think that Matthias is in the 12, or do you think that Paul is the 12th apostle? Well, I can't prove it for absolutely sure, but seeing how Paul argues to be a capital A apostle in the New Testament has him writing pretty much half of the New Testament. I think Paul absolutely is a capital A apostle and should be included among the 12 because he himself on the Damascus Road by was called by Jesus himself, whereas Matthias was appointed by the other apostles. You say, Brother Matt, I don't agree with you. That's fine. I am just thought I'd share my opinion. But um, anyway, today I want to talk about the call of the gospel, the call of the gospel. Let me read to you Galatians chapter 11, excuse me, chapters 1, verses 11 through 24. It says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is so important. What's Paul saying? The apostles did not teach this gospel to me. Jesus taught me this gospel. Remember this capital A apostle here. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, thinking about Jeremiah 1 from last week, and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. What's he saying? Jesus gave me this gospel long before. Peter and I talked, is what he's saying. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you, 
before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. I want to talk to you today about the call of the gospel and what the true gospel is and what it does. You can be close, and you can be close and even have a right understanding in one sense, but not understand the gospel in its fullest sense. And this is frankly as a Protestant, because we all are here today, and unless you're visiting from another tradition. But one of the things I think we miss as Protestants is just a little bit of the fullness of what the gospel means for each of us. Let me give you an il- illustration of what it's like to be close, but not close at all. Um, this morning, my uh, daughter came running in. Now, I need to specify because I have four of those. So yesterday, I'd gone to Birmingham for my oldest daughter to participate in pole vault pole vaulting over there, and she did wonderful. She won a medal. She placed yesterday. So proud of her. Set a personal record and a school record for Tupelo High School. Really proud of Ashland yesterday. But anyway, we got in late, and because we got in late, I didn't see my children to bed. This morning, my youngest daughter came running into the room, and she just came. I was sitting in the bed reading my Bible this morning, and she came running in and jumped up in my lap, and she just just adorable and the sweetest outfit on, and I just said, oh, Princess Jasmine, you look beautiful, because I thought the outfit she had on was Princess Jasmine, and she got real tense in my arms, and I said, what's wrong? She said, Dad, I'm little Bo Peep. I said, well, close. She said, not really. (laughs) I was right that she was dressed up as a a girl character, right? Close. But somehow, we can get close sometimes to the gospel and still miss its fullness. And one of the things that I want you to see today is what the call of the gospel truly means as we look at it through Paul's life. Principle one is there are glimpses of the gospel everywhere, but for most of the Bible, the full gospel was hidden. There are glimpses of the gospel everywhere, but for most of in the Bible, the full gospel was hidden. I want you to look in Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 12. It will be on the screen. I want to point out a particular word to you. He says, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation. Here it is, apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. In fact, you think revelation, is that kind of like the book of of Revelation or the apocalypse? Yes, it's the same word. Revelation or apocalypse means something hidden. Something hidden. And when Paul is saying, I received a revelation, he's saying, I received something that was formerly hidden, and it was revealed to me. So what does that mean? That means that Paul's gospel is a revelation that had been kept secret until this present moment. 
you say, well, what could that possibly be? We already know that Jesus suffered, bled, and died and got up from the grave. What is so secret about Paul's gospel? Well, the secret was is that Jesus not only suffered, bled, and died and got up from the grave to save Israel, but the secret was that that gospel was going to go to the Gentiles and to the whole world. This is the mystery. It was hidden from the patriarchs and the prophets. It was hidden from the patriarchs and the prophets. This means that the gospel that I'm preaching this morning is something that Abraham did not understand. This means that it is something, a message that Moses did not understand or fully appreciate. We hear it time after time again, and it blesses us, and we don't realize that we're ones upon whom the ages have fallen, that this secret, sacred mystery that Jesus is not just the King of Israel, but the King of the whole world, not just the Savior of Israel, but the Savior of the whole world, that this precious message has fallen upon us and it's been revealed to us. This is the mystery that Paul is speaking about. It was hidden from the patriarchs and the prophets. Also, it was hidden from the scribes and the Pharisees. It was hidden from the scribes and the Pharisees. When you read the Gospels, they just didn't get Jesus. John chapter 12, verses 37 through 40. Every time I read John, I just think, I want to do a sermon series on that book. Though... He had done many signs before them. They still did not believe him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Look at this highlighted portion on the screen now. Speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, and this verse makes us uncomfortable. Perhaps you remember it from our John series. Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He, as in God, has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and in turn, and turn, and I would heal them. So who was hiding the gospel from the scribes and Pharisees? God was. Like, I don't like that. Well, we need to revisit the John sermon on judicial hardening. We can talk about that. God's purposes for hardening hearts and making sure that someone doesn't understand the gospel is to accomplish his own ends. Let me just deal with that really quickly because I know when we see verses like that, we're like, I don't like that because I think God wants to save everybody. Of course he does. But why would he be hardening their hearts? to accomplish his own purposes for his own glory because Jesus had to go to the cross and die for sins. And he was hardening their heart here so that they might nail him to the cross. And always remember that when God hardens a heart, it is never permanent. It is never permanent. It is only to accomplish his intended purpose in the immediate future. This is why Pharaoh's heart was hardened over and over and over and over again, it's a hardened to accomplish God's purpose, God's heart's desire, his will, is that everyone come to him and be saved. But it was hidden from scribes and Pharisees. Also, it was hidden from those content with comfort. If you look in that same little passage we just read, John 12, 41 through 43, it says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even... Many even of the authorities believed in him, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man 
more than glory comes from God. Well, that's disturbing and chilling. Indeed it is. The gospel was hidden by those who didn't want to be uncomfortable. Also, most importantly, the gospel was hidden from spiritual powers. The gospel was hidden from spiritual powers. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6-9, through 9, it says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Now you say, who are the rulers of this age? Well, this word here, is this, these words used here to describe the rulers and authorities are the same words used in Ephesians 6 talking about the archons or the principalities and the powers, these spiritual rulers in the unseen world that are doomed to pass away. You can read about it in Isaiah when the sky will ultimately be rolled up like a scroll and the stars will fall. That's poetic language that the stars, these ruling authorities in the unseen world are going to fall and lose their place as those who rule the universe and they will now lose their place, and then believers will replace them as the stars that will shine forever with Jesus. But we read about them here. It says, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. This gospel that Jesus would not just be crucified, buried, and risen again to save Israel, but he would be crucified, buried, and raised from life, not just to save Israel, but the whole world was hidden from these unseen powers. Because If they would have known, they never would have crucified Jesus because it was at the cross that their power was broken. This gospel, when you look at the majority of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, it was a hidden gospel, not just from people, but even the unseen world. They did not know what this gospel was. And Paul is here revealing this precious word. Principle number two, before I say this, it's important to be reminded people still reject the gospel today, but people rarely reject the gospel per se, but many reject a caricature of the gospel. People rarely reject the gospel, but many reject a caricature of the gospel. How many of you, when you're going through a hard time, or you've been through a season of loss or grief. How many of you, you don't have to raise hands, but I think we can all acknowledge this, have ever said this statement, I just don't know how people without Jesus make it. I just don't know how people that don't have the hope of the gospel and the family of God, I just don't know how they make it. Because we know that Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother, that he stores all our tears in a bottle, that even in the depths of despair, we are not alone, and we know that in the family of God, we have brothers and sisters, which many and often at times feel closest than our own flesh 
and blood. That is what it means by, to be part of the family of God. You and I believe that. We say that, and then we go out and we talk to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know the church, doesn't know any of that, and to hear them talk about Jesus in the church, they are so angry. And when you say, I don't know what I could do without it, and then they start spouting off all of this stuff about God and how bad he is and how cruel he is and how selfish the church is and how evil the church is and how the church is basically the true evil in the world. And you sit there and you listen and you go, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, that's exactly, that's not the, you have caricatured the God. You don't even understand what you're talking about. That's it. Because the gospel's hidden from them. They're not, listen, if I thought God was like many of those people do, I would be mad at him too. But it, that's not the true gospel. But many reject a caricature of the gospel. And we see this in Paul's own story. Remember, Paul, as Saul, thought he understood the gospel. Paul, as Saul, thought he understood the gospel. Look down in verse number 13. In verse 13, it says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism and how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Now, do you think that Paul would have persecuted the church if he didn't have at least some understanding of what he thought the gospel was? No. Paul thought he understood the gospel and it made him angry and he hated the people of God and sought to snuff them out. You see, Paul or Saul's former, Paul or Saul's understanding led him to pride and elitism. Paul's understanding, former understanding, led him to pride and elitism. He thought that he was better than these Christians. He thought that these Christians needed to be silenced. He thought that their message needed to be stopped and he wanted them put in jail and he wanted it done away with. Why? Because he didn't understand the true gospel. He only understood its caricature. He did not understand the true gospel. Also, Paul or Saul's understanding led him to anger and aggression. Led him to anger and aggression. Uh, last week when I did the message on uh, the sanctity of life. And in one of the videos that we posted, there were a lot of comments that were put there. Some of which people had to have been on drugs. Like, I don't, I, I just, they didn't, they weren't even coherent. Uh, but many of them were angry. They were angry. And we had people reach out to the church and they were saying all of these things. And, and you're like, man, why are you all so angry? That's not what the gospel is. Like, we're just, all I said last week is that human beings are created in the image of God from conception. And don't human beings deserve to live? But that was too much. That was too much. Where does that come from? It comes from thinking you know the gospel, but being blinded by its true nature and only understanding a caricature. People rarely reject the gospel, but many reject a caricature of the gospel. And that's what happened to Paul. He thought he understood it, and so because he thought he understood it, he sought to stomp it out. But for Paul, what happened? Jesus came. 
Which leads us to our final thing, which is this. It is, for Paul, conversion and calling are inseparable. For Paul, conversion and calling are inseparable. I want to pick up reading again. Um, Look in verse number 14. It says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Oh, this is so good. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So what changed Paul? What changed Paul's understanding? One word. Jesus. Jesus met with Paul. Now, I want to be very clear here, because some of us have loved ones that are so angry at God, so angry at the church. Some of your children and grandchildren are angry at you because you're seeking to be faithful to God and they think you're clueless and don't know what you're doing. What do they need? Jesus. Jesus. And friends, if Jesus can open the eyes of a man intent on putting Christians to death as a first century Jewish terrorist, he can open the eyes of your loved one. Jesus can open the eyes of anyone. Conversion is a work of God. Conversion is a work of God. John 3, 8 says this when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about the nature of conversion. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can you explain what God did in Paul's life? You can't. You just know it happened. It's just like the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. You can't even see it. You can only see its effects. And Paul points out that conversion, that when somebody gets saved, it's because of Christ. It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul wants us to understand that in this blessed work of the Holy Spirit, that the conversion is not just the work of God, but that God saves to save. Remember I told you that I think for many of us as Protestants, we get it, but we don't exercise the fullness of it. And here's where I'd like to press a little bit. When you ask the average Protestant, what is the gospel? They say, well, believing in Jesus as the Son of God, Son of God, the crucified, risen Son of God, died for my sin, and having the hope of heaven when I die. To all of that I say, amen. But that's not what Paul's preaching. That's only this much of what Paul's preaching. There's one more part. For Paul to be called by the God is not just having the hope of heaven. It's joining God in his restorative work here on earth. For for Paul, the gospel is not just one day when I breathe my last seeing Jesus face to face, amen and amen. It's when I trust Jesus here, I join 
God and join Jesus in his restorative work of working throughout the world. This is the mystery of Paul's gospel. This is the revealed part. Friends, God saves to save. When God saved me, he was wanting to not only take me to heaven, he wanted to use me to save you. Not in my own self, I can't save anybody, but me to be the conduit of him saving people through me and the same thing is true for you. Remember, Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. God blessed Abraham in order that all the nations of the earth might be blessed. God saves to save. He saves to use us. Remember, Israel was delivered from Egypt that there might be a kingdom of priests to the nations. Israel was delivered to deliver. They were delivered to deliver the whole world, to be the blessing to the whole world. Friends, the disciples were called to call. They were called to call. Jesus picked them, named them, picked the 12. When he looked at Peter, he said, leave your nets behind. I'm going to make you fishers of what? Men. They were called to call. God saves to say, Paul was, saves to say, Paul was converted to convert, to be that instrument of conversion to other people. Don't misunderstand me. We don't save anybody, only Jesus saves. But the mission of the gospel and the call of the gospel cannot be separated from our salvation that promises heaven. It's all of it. It's having the hope of heaven and joining God in his work here. They cannot be separated. For Paul, conversion and calling are inseparable. You see, Salvation and calling are rooted in God's love, not in his anger. You know, when Paul was in his former line of work, being a Pharisee and chasing down Christians, he was so angry. He was so angry. He wanted to stop out and stomp out this work of the devil, and he was so angry, driven by anger. And friends, that's not the message of Christianity. There's so many of us who are thought of to be angry. The world thinks we're angry. They think we're angry at everybody. That we're just like the whole we own the world and get off our grass type of people that, you know, they just see us as angry. But that's not what we are, or maybe some of us, but that's not what we should be. We're to be conduits of the love of God. Friend John's 316, you know it well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was love that drove the incarnation that sent us Jesus. The message of the gospel is not one of anger. The message of the kingdom is not one of anger. That was Paul's former life. The message of the gospel is one of love. It's one of love. And the mission of God is to carry his message of love, the message of his love to the entire world. Look down in verse number 16. I love this. Notice it says, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him, preach him among the Gentiles. So this is a key phrase here because Galatians is a book about how much Jewish tradition is appropriate in the gospel being preached to Gentiles. Paul says, none of it. 
Because the message to the Gentiles is not be a Jew. It's Jesus loves you and came to save the whole world. And that by believing in him, you will have life in his name. We preach him. And it's the best message in the world. People are hurting in our world. I told you we got a lot of feedback this week, and um, a couple of people called the office. And I talked to this one lady that is out on the West Coast. She called, and she asked to speak with me. And she was very affirming of the, the message. But she said, Pastor Matt, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I said, of what? Ever since COVID, I just feel like the world's coming unraveled. And I'm afraid to even go out of my house. I'm so scared. As I listened to that precious lady on the phone, it reminded me of Jesus looking at the crowds and being moved to compassion. It's a very honest thing to admit your fears. And it's a very privileged thing for me to be able to tell her that in Christ and in God, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. The mission of God is to carry his message of love to the entire world. I'll share one quick story and I'll give the final point and be done. This week, I got to catch up on FaceTime with my former college roommate. And we roomed together over 20 years ago. Now, some of you sitting out there say, that math is not possible. You're not old enough to room with somebody 20 years ago. But 20 years ago, we were freshmen at Mississippi College. And I have not seen him in 20 years. Um, we kind of went two different directions. God had called me to ministry, and um, he just pursued a, just a different way. Left school, left the church, and we parted ways for a long time. Not angrily, but just, just parted ways. And about a, a little over a decade ago, God did a radical work in his life and has transformed him. And rather than running from God, he started being drawn to God. And now he went and finished college. He went to seminary and now is a Catholic priest in Jackson, Tennessee. We both grew up in the same Baptist church. and I was talking to him. I just said how grateful I was for the work that God had done in his life. I said, you know what? I'm not really close with many Catholic priests. I have a few of them as friends. But um, I said, can I ask you a few questions? There's just some things that I've always wanted to know. I said, um, what's your favorite part of your job? What's your favorite part? 
said, that's easy. He said, confession. I said, really? And he said, but not for why you think. He said, I don't enjoy hearing all of people's stuff. That's not what I'm interested in. He said, I don't like that. I said, you know, Gabe, uh, or Father Gabe, I, I said, Protestants, I said, we struggle with confession because we have James telling us that confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you will be healed. And I said, we have confession in Protestant life. I said, but it's just so risky because if you tell somebody, are they really going to keep it between them and God? He said, well, that's what I love about the Catholic Church. And he said, when someone walks into the confessional booth, it's them, the priest, and the Spirit of God. He said, my favorite confession goes like this. Somebody gets in the booth, and they say, with deep emotion, Father, it's been 30 years. And Gabe told me, he said, Matt, I get so excited. He said, because I know when they finish vomiting out all of their junk, I am going to have the privilege of pouring on them the love, the mercy, and the forgiveness of God. He said, that's the favorite part of my job. Now, don't y'all go join the Catholic Church. (laughs) I have some significant differences, and you should too. But the message of forgiveness in Christ should be the favorite part of our job. The message of his love is this. Christ is crucified for you. He's crucified for you. And it doesn't matter what you've done three minutes ago, three years ago, 30 years ago. I'm here to tell you today, he loves you. And it's deeper than some sentimental feeling. It's love that was written in blood on a Roman cross and proved when he got up from the grave. That is the gospel. And that gospel is inseparable from the calling of telling another person he loves you and he's ready to forgive you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity today to be reminded of the gospel, which is not what we have done, but rather what Christ has done for us. Lord, for as appreciative as I am of that wonderful story from my friend, we don't have to go to a priest to receive a gospel or to receive forgiveness. Lord, you stand ready to save anyone and everyone who calls on your name. And you want to use all of us. Those in the congregation, those listening online, let's just have a holy moment right here. You've just heard the gospel. 
loves you. He died for you. He stands ready to forgive you. And whether you've never known him, if you haven't, you need to know him today, or whether you've known him for 30 years, can you take just a moment and make an altar out of your heart and have a moment of confession with him? Is there anything between you and God? Friends, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's last night, last year, or in high school, he loves you, and he's ready to forgive you. Is there something? Call it by name. God doesn't forgive excuses. He forgives sins. Confess it. And now know that in Jesus' name, you are forgiven and in right relationship with him. And there's nothing that can pluck you out of the Father's hand. And now know this, forgiven Christian, he doesn't forgive you so that forgiveness stays in you alone. He wants you to take that message and be the healing balm of the gospel to everyone around you. At home, at church, at work, and to the entire world. Use us, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.